Well, I do want to start by thanking Eileen West for reading that particular passage of Scripture. You know, I, 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 I do think that having other people read the Scripture passage should be something that we continue once we're all back together for Sunday worship. Obviously, my motivation for that is entirely down to just the blessing of having other people participate. Nothing to do with Eileen having to read all those Bible names, and uh, not just uh, rather than myself. She did absolutely nail that, didn't she? Um, and I, I'm told Scott, who filmed that, says it was pretty much a one take. She just, she just got straight through them there. So perhaps Eileen uh, had the same training I once received, a sort of learned, godly theologian once shared with me how to ensure a good and helpful public reading of Bible names. Um, he claimed that if you followed these steps, you would never know any embarrassment on a Sunday morning. His robust comprehensive four-step process was this. Read fast, read read loud, read confident, don't dare stop. That was his advice about reading Bible names. And Eileen, I have to say, had clearly put more effort into it than that. She had had some awesome pronunciations there. I have thanked her in the video of this this message, which is probably going on right right just now. I joked a few moments ago there about the, the reason to keep this extra participation going, uh, you know, the blessing of other people being involved. But actually, that's not a joke. There is something very precious about that. That is true that it would be good to maintain a lot of the extra participation that we've had through these videos. It's something for us to hold on to. And amongst all the challenges that there have been of, of worship via things like YouTube, one of the things that many of you have said that you've really appreciated is the variety of people taking part. And I have to say, I agree. Even when I've been involved in putting those services together, I found myself when a, a face on a video pops up, someone who I maybe haven't seen in the church for a long time, I find myself smiling just to see different brothers and sisters from around the church. Now, why? Why is that an encouragement to us? Well, one of the main reasons for that is directly related to the message that there is in this passage of Scripture in Nehemiah chapter 3, which is this. Every person has a part to play. Every person has a, a part to play in God's work in God's house, in God's kingdom activity, every person has a role to play. We're in this together. That's one of the messages of Nehemiah chapter 3. It's an interesting chapter, isn't it? You, you know that well, you maybe know, the way I kind of like to preach is, you know, you get a little passage and then you explain it and you move on, you read the next few verses and you move on. Well, you can't really do that with this passage. It is largely just name after name after name of people who were sharing in this work that God had opened up for them to participate in. Now, it's remarkable, isn't it, that there are passages of Scripture like this. They're not always easy. I think we have to just be honest and acknowledge that. Like if you are uh, doing your Bible reading plan, maybe Bible in a year or Bible in two years or whatever, and you come to one of those passages, you can maybe get to the end of it, assuming you've read it, that is, and not just kind of scanned over it. And you can maybe sometimes go, wow, what was I supposed to take from that? What was I supposed to take from that list of names? You know, unless you have an imminent expectation of a baby coming and you need some help with names, there's maybe not too much that you can... glean sometimes it feels like, although I'm not sure you'd want some of these names, Merrimoth, anyone? Any name with the word moth in it is a problem for me, as some of you, you know. But, but here's the thing. 
we know God has something to teach us. We, we know that for a couple of reasons, well, a few reasons, I'm sure, but a couple I'll name, which is this is not the only example of a passage of Scripture like this. There are multiple passages of Scripture where it's name after name after name. So, it must be there for a purpose. And more, more fundamentally, we know that God has a message for us in this because the Bible itself speaks to this. In, in 2 Timothy 3, we know that all Scripture, including Nehemiah 3, is breathed out by God and it's profitable. It's useful for us. And, and God doesn't waste any breath. God doesn't waste any words. It's no mistake that Nehemiah 3, when they compiled what they were going to put in the, in, the, in the scriptures that would be handed down, it's no mistake that Nehemiah 3 was included. So we start with this passage before us, but we bring to that this conviction that God has a message for us. And we say, right, God, show me what you are saying through this chapter. And I think at least one thing we can take is this message that every person has a part to play. Just to share with you a little reminder of where we've come to in the story so far. Remember, God's people have been in exile away from the, the land of Israel. They've been, they've been cut off from this incredible city of Jerusalem, this wonderful city of God's connection and presence and activity with his people. And uh, they're coming back from this devastating season of exile. And the message of Ezra and Nehemiah we've been, we've been reflecting on is, is the sense of return, renewal in God, and, and rebuilding. And, and of course, it's not just a bunch of success stories. It's not just like a blueprint for this is how you do like a church project. No, there's a lot of lessons, a lot of struggles, a lot of difficulties that we come across. And here in chapter 3, they're in the heart of this work of rebuilding. And everyone's involved. Everyone's involved. It's interesting to notice who's not mentioned here. Nehemiah's not mentioned. Some of you are thinking, well, yes, he is. He's down there in verse 16. Different Nehemiah. Different Nehemiah. And what's interesting is in verse, chapters 1 and 2, it's spoken from the first person. Nehemiah's speaking from the first person. And he goes back to that in chapter 4. But here in chapter 3, Nehemiah's nowhere. Ezra's not mentioned in Nehemiah chapter 3, nor are some of the other leaders that we've been thinking of, like Zerubbabel, for example. He's not mentioned in Nehemiah chapter 3. Again, what you have is just name after name of different people who, almost without exception, are never mentioned again in the Bible or history. And the point is this, every single person mattered. Every single role that they played mattered as much as Nehemiah as much as Ezra. Just like Paul, for example, in Romans 16, he lists the various people that participated in God's work because he wants people to know, don't think this is all about me. I could not do what I do without the whole community of God's people. Well, just like that, so in Nehemiah 3, it is very intentionally included in the final account of God's work here to show that it takes a community of God's people to accomplish the task that God sets before his people. 
And what the passage does is it basically takes us on a little tour of what they were rebuilding. So it starts in the north, northeast, at the Sheep Gate. You can see that in verse 1. And then if you track it, they move around counterclockwise. So if you look at the last verse of the chapter, you see that they return again to the Sheep Gate there. And it's basically an account of this person's doing this bit, that person's doing that bit, and on it goes. Every person has a part to play. And we see that even in how the chapter is designed and and how it's laid out and described. So we see the work described as happening by different groups of people. So for example, sometimes we see that the work is being done in a group organized with relation to family. So it will say the son of or the sons of such and such participated. Or in verse 12, we come across Shalom, and he's working alongside his daughters. And I love just the picture. I, know, I don't know what age they were. Maybe they were like Charlotte's age, and they were like picking up stones and giving them to their daddy so that he could participate in, in building of the wall. Or maybe they were older. Like, we just don't know. But it's a lovely thing to, to think about. Maybe in verse 18, uh, we come across Hashabiah, and it's the brothers of Hashabiah are working together. So sometimes organized by family. Sometimes the passage describes the groups being organized by the work that they did. So in verse uh, 18, I think. Oh no, sorry, let let me get. So verse 8, it refers to the, the goldsmiths who worked together and the perfumers who worked together. We'll come, we'll come back to them. Sometimes the work was done with the assistance of people who lived in the same place. So not family units, but a geographical area. Other times it's referenced not with regard to a geographical area, but more like a street, like a, a neighborhood. It says, you know, do the work that was opposite your house. Um, that's often what we come across. Sometimes it's priests, sometimes it's lay people, sometimes it's civic leaders, other times it's just normal citizens. And the point is this, it's very stark the way it's laid out. Everyone is involved. Everyone is involved. Now, this is an important lesson for us in these days. Not about one person, but about the shared work of God's people. And the tone of this passage is is movement, togetherness, activity, people pitching in as they were able together. And and, and it's not it's it's not like a naive passage, like it's realistic. Like look at verse five. We come across um, the, the Techoites who are repairing, but it says that their nobles would not stoop to serve the Lord. So it's we have these we have verse 5 people. Every move of God always has verse 5 people, where the people of God are, are banding together to follow His purposes, but there's people who, oh, I'm not going to get involved in that. I'm not going to stoop down to that area. So, so there is, there's always going to be verse 5 people, but overwhelmingly in this passage, there is this sense of purpose and participation. And it reminded me of some aspects of church life, past, present, and God willing, future. So past, thinking back to some moments in the past, it reminded me like of a mission team. You know, you get a mission team together and you you get excited and you you get a shared purpose and you you head off together. Or holiday Bible club events. Or specifically the weekend when we replanted from IBC to Hillview and the buzz there was around this building that weekend. Or when Contour was planted. Or think of like the youth missions that happened or the, the youth festivals that have happened, Soul Survivor, things like that. Or 
and the process even just of getting set up for Christmas events or Easter events and the buzz of activity that there is. Or church weekends away, like the one we should have had just a few weekends ago in September. Or on a more sort of ongoing basis, think of some other things we've not been able to have recently, evenings of worship and prayer, mission nights, the, the noise and movement of mainly music, or even just the prayerful buzz of activity that has been missing in this building on a Sunday morning for over six months. That's what Nehemiah 3 reminds me of, and it brings to mind some of the things that we've not been able to enjoy and participate in in these months. And yet, present. There have been so many wonderful areas of God's activity bursting out and shared participation like here in Nehemiah 3. So think of the organizing of gifts for teachers in schools or staff in care homes or school uniforms that have been provided to those who need them or small groups connecting online and some of the remarkable work that God has done in people's lives through online, Zoom, WebEx, whatever it is. Um, Think of the visits and the walks and the phone calls and the other creative modes of pastoral care that have been going on in the church family. Think of the wonderful videos that have been created week in, week out by people bringing us to God in worship. sense of togetherness, participation, even though apart. And then as we look to the future, there is the sense of, I think collectively as a society, us going, okay, what, does, what do the next months look like? Life has to unfold a little bit. And as a church, that's true as well. Thinking of Alpha courses being planned tomorrow night. There's this women's Bible study that's starting up again. Buildings are being opened up increasingly. Community connections are being re-established and also significantly prayers and dreams are being awakened as to what God might be calling us to into the future. And for God's kingdom work to continue and grow here in this place, we will need every person to play their part. And here's the truth. That is a tough message for some people just now. I know just now that that lands on some in our community of faith differently to others. Some are raring to go. And and if that's you, you're thinking, man, Martin, why did you stop that list of all the things that God was doing? Why did you stop it there? There's so many other things that God's doing. I'm ready to jump on board and get involved. Others are deeply struggling. And if that's you, you're wondering, Why is he listing all these positive things that are going on? Nothing feels positive for me right now. In life, in church life. And brothers and sisters, this is who we are as the community of God's people. Very mixed in this. And we have to honor one another in this. The scriptures tell us to outdo one another in showing honor when we think of these different groups and then we think of of everyone in between, we have to acknowledge we have different needs in light of the moment that we are in. And we are told in the Scriptures to prefer the needs of others over our own. So so take take a moment in in this week and, and pray for someone who's dispositionally different to where you're at in terms of how you're feeling about life just now, be that life in the church or in general. 
We have to prefer the needs of others over our own. Why? Because we are in this together. And I think Nehemiah 3 makes clear that it takes all of us with all our differences, personality, risk, feelings, you know, so many different ways. It takes all of us to fulfill the plans that God has for us. And here's the thing in this, in this passage. I don't imagine it was easy for them to get to this task. A few different reasons. I imagine a few of them felt a little bit out of place. I do wonder about the perfumers in verse 8. <laughs> do you wonder what they're doing? Building a wall? I wonder if they felt a little out of place. Maybe it was the case that they weren't so much uh, great with the sledgehammer, but they were just able to make the place smell beautiful while everyone else was working. I don't know. I'm stretching the passage here a little bit, but I want to just say we need people like that. (laughs) If that's you, you might not know how to get involved in ministry. Maybe you can just make the place smell sweet with your attitude and your demeanor. Okay, that's that's a stretch. But let's let's move on. How about for the the Tekoites in verse 5? It must have been tough for them, right? Working away while these nobles around them pointedly refused to get involved. I'm sure it would have been easy for self-righteousness to bubble up in their hearts. We need to guard against that. And then also, we just have to be realistic and and acknowledge in Nehemiah 3, some jobs are more challenging than others. Different parts of the wall, different contexts. You know, I think, for example, the perfumer's job was probably a bit easier than the job of Malkijah, who was working at the dung gate. I think that's probably reasonable to assume. And I wonder If that's the case, then I wonder if some might, as hard as it was in that moment, might receive a particular welcome from God at the banquet table of the kingdom of heaven. Isn't it reasonable to speculate based on so many passages in the Bible whether Dungate Malkijah might just end up in a seat of greater honor than Ezra or Nehemiah? or one of those perfumer people. That would be just like the kingdom of God. The point is this, every person has their part to play. And remember 1 Corinthians 12, that the roles that we think in this world lack honor are the ones that are lifted up by God as being of great importance. And I can think of some people over my life who are in that position. I think of Mr. and Mrs. Shaw who over countless years faithfully showed Jesus to me in Sunday school and hundreds of other children. I think of Mr. Pinner, who used to just come in every single week and quietly go to the back corner of the sanctuary and operate the sound desk there. I think of uh, Miss Henderson, who gave me an NIV Bible with a little verse on it that she wrote in the front, which has been one of the most formative verses I've come back to time and time again. She probably had no idea. And she used to say to me, she used to say, I do always pray for you, you know. And, 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 she, and then she'd follow up with, every day, every day. And there was only a hint of a kind of parallel tone of, be great to see some results from those prayers, Martin. <laughs> She, she, did, she did pray for me, and I know she did, and it was very precious. But so much of God's work is done in the quiet, unseen by anyone but God himself. I'm sure there are those of you here who this week have ministered to God, maybe had no thanks for it. God sees. God sees. My question is, as we think about every person has a part to play, what about you? 
And please don't misunderstand me. I'm not just talking about being on a rota at church. I'm asking you to consider how is God inviting you to enter in to his kingdom work, even wherever you spend most of your time from Monday to Saturday. I think it's interesting that a number of examples given in this passage, especially towards the end of the chapter, particularly reference that space near someone's home, opposite their house. There's that sense of God work, God's work being caught up in their daily lives, in their particular kind of sphere of influence. All of our lives lived for the glory of God. Now, in conclusion, I just want to ask, Every person has a part to play. To what end? To what end? Like really, what is the main purpose of God in this world? And what does that mean for me? I mean, they're, they're building a wall here in Nehemiah chapter 3, and you step back, you think, so what? What's so good about a wall? In fact, of course, the idea of building a wall has become particularly con- controversial and contentious in the last few years, but what's going on here in Nehemiah 3, this talk of building, well, what are they up to? And of course, you could ask us the same question. All those things I listed on, listed earlier of the activity of God in this church, you could say, well, what is that really all about? What is the point of all of this? What difference does it make? You know, is the Christian life, Martin, just a series of events that we are to enter into together as God's people? No. There's one word that really stands out in this passage as to what these people were about. We've talked about Ezra and Nehemiah being about return, renewal, rebuilding. Well, I've got another R for you just now, and it's going to come up on the screen. Darren's going to put it up because there's one word that just comes up, especially in the ESV, the way it's translated just again and again, which is the word Is it coming, Darren? (laughs) Anyway, anyone think what the word might be? Another R? Repair. It might come up there or it might not. But you'll see it. if, If the screen comes up, you'll see just how many times this word repair comes up. Now, what are they repairing? Well, yes, they're repairing a wall. Yay, there it is. Look at that. Look how many times. They're repairing a wall, but of course the wall was not the main point. The wall was not the end. What was it they were truly after? They wanted restored peace with God. They wanted harmony. They wanted that sense of renewed communion with God. The people of Israel had been cast away from this place, this focal point of God's blessing with his people, and now they're back. They want that connection with God restored. They want that which was broken, fixed. And dear friends, is this not what we need also? We need repair. Our hearts are broken. Our world is broken. We are in a mess. We're sinful people who you know, in various ways are, are, are separated and, and remove ourselves from the presence of God. And we need that repaired. And yes, there is an initial aspect where that is renewed once and for all, but there is also a daily coming back to who God is. And the question is, how can we do that? How can we know repair with God? In Nehemiah 3, there was this physical, tangible aspect of that. They had to build this wall, but how can we do it? Well, of course, we can't do it on our own. We, all we can do, all we must do 
is come to Jesus. He is the repairer. He's the restorer. He is the redeemer. He's the one who is seated on the throne and of whom John wrote this. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And then John comments, he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. If you are in Christ, if you're connected to Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, you're a new creation. Matthew's baptism verse, right? The old has gone, the new has come. In 1 Peter 1, right towards the end of the letter, we get another reminder of the challenges we face. There's there's anxiety that we encounter. There's spiritual attack attack that we encounter. There's suffering that comes as a result of persecution. But listen to the truth that Peter says in light of that. He says, after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. We need repair. Even more fundamentally than what we read about in Nehemiah chapter 3, we need that peace and communion with God and with one another. We can't do it ourselves. We need to run to Jesus who will, will restore us. You see, that is at the absolute center of whatever we are about as God's people. Yes, every person has a part to play. Yes, it will look different for every single one of us. But at the center, it is about coming to Jesus for restoration and renewal and knowing that reality day by day. And then it's about joining in the work of all of us together, showing others who Jesus is bringing others to the repairer, the restorer, this world much in need, bringing them to Jesus, letting him repair our broken hearts. And then once that happens, we can't help but share of him with others. Every person with a part to play, building a community of grace and peace and light for Jesus' sake. In the power of the Holy Spirit, we can't do this on our own, to the glory of God the Father. Be involved in what God is doing. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that every person has a part to play in your work. God, we know that in our own strength, there's no lasting change any of us can bring. We need to come to Jesus, the repairer. We need to bring others to Jesus. We need to show him, show them his love. We need to share with them the good news of who he is and what he has done. Help us play our part. God, I just pray for your care and your shepherding and your just wisdom for us as we together step forward, all of us in different states of struggle and difficulty after these days, months. Father, we pray that you guide us on in your help, in your purposes, that we might shine 
the light of Christ, even in our suffering, even in our joy, that, that you would build something beautiful among us as your people. I pray in Jesus' name. And I just want to invite you to stay in that place of prayer because we're going to respond now. And I'd like to invite you as we sing this or as we reflect on this last song, I'd like to think of one thing in your life that needs repair, something that is broken. It could be just how you're feeling in your own heart. It could be a relationship. It could be a a health difficulty or an area where you need breakthrough. I want to invite you to bring that brokenness to God and ask for the repairer to bring healing in that place. I'd also like you to, to consider one person who does not know the love and saving power of Jesus and pray for God to bring renewal and repair there. Just think of one person. And as you pray these things, as we consider these words of faith that we're about to reflect on God's power and His ability to bring change in these circumstances, I want you to remember this is not a work that you're called to alone. So pray for these areas of brokenness in light of your part in the broader community of God's people. Let's respond now.